Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. I really appreciate your influence in getting Keith back into the theaters and watching real films for the first time. So thank you all for putting the pressure on Keith. He finally saw some Spider-Man and will continue to watch this week in the theater. Yay. Congratulations, Keith. Welcome to the new world. Um, but we also, besides that this week, talked about really this understanding of leadership in the Hollywood space, what, it, what we ask for and need in leadership when it comes to studio execs so that the stories can be told and an evolution of filmmaking can take place. So we look forward to that conversation and many other things this week on Hollywood Breaks. I have to thank you guys because uh, I, I've reconnected with a lot of friends I hadn't heard from in a while because of uh, exposing the fact that I hadn't seen Spider-Man. Because <laughs> this past week, so I, was, the outing that you yeah, I was shamed. I was shamed by several people uh, <laughs> to the point where um, our guest who's coming on next week, uh, Sean Heron from Gearbox, literally told me, if you do not see Spider-Man before I come on the show, I will spend the entire hour making fun of you. So as a result, <laughs> I have now caught up on the first two. So I've watched Homecoming and Far From Home. And tomorrow I'm going to see uh, No Way Home. And you're, are you catching on to what the, uh, the excitement's all about? Yeah, I like Holland. I think he's really good in the role. Um, I have my quibbles here and there about little things. But overall, I think the overall gist of it and sort of what was kind of interesting for me was I, it was the first time that I felt excited to watch a movie again. And it's, it's hard for me to sort of, you know, explain that, but I'll, I'll try my best in a short amount of time so I don't take up the entire podcast. Uh, but after I left LA, I was a little, I don't know, jaded in terms of the film experience and going to movies because I really got a peek behind the curtain and how some people who work in the industry are truly just terrible human beings. And it is, it is right. So you're not necessarily rooting for them to be successful. No, I'm not rooting. Yeah. And it took me out and it became such a slog to the point where going to the movies wasn't fun. It was just work. So I think it took a while for me to reset and get back to the point where I could actually enjoy it again. And that this is the first time that I've actually really like, I was watching far from home and I was like, I was like, I was enjoying it. Like, and it, I, it's been a while since I could say that. So thank you for all those who, who harassed me and shamed <laughs> into seeing it because I've sort of rediscovered my love of movies again. So that was, that was nice. Well, there's something to be said that's true is that it is a superhero movie. It is Spider-Man, which we've obviously seen other Spider-Man, um, you know, episode or, um, films with different actors over the years so there's something yeah. that is repeated that's playing into a certain economy you know the things that we talked about on uh, um on our past episodes which is you know the recognition that there, we're not really finding any new material or repeating old material right. but yeah. i'm with you i think tom holland that boyish quality he has the way the characters are played into uh playing it up and then this ability to tell a bigger story where i feel like the last time the spider-man was told they were really just making movies kind of in a silo yeah. making spider-man movies and this one's t telling something into a, a bigger that bigger universe it's just just more interesting that way yeah i agree um but there is and then it's just fun i mean film can just be fun it, just enjoy it 
the kids love it with you, whatever. It's, it's kind of fun that way. It was fun to watch. And I just was like, okay, yeah, I like what they're doing here. And you could definitely feel the Feige touch when you watch the Hollands versus the Garfields and you could, or even the Tobey Maguire's for that matter, you can see the sort of the Marvel magic, the humor sort of taking it as like, it's an overarching story. Um, and Marissa Tomei as Aunt May was brilliant casting. And I love that they brought yeah, fun. Yeah. John yeah. Favreau into it. He gave him a bigger <laughs> role, which was great. And I, you know, I think the little pieces that they did there, I thought were fantastic. Yeah. That's really fun. You know, I, I'm one, I'm glad that we have such a strong community of true <laughs> film believers. Cause yes. <laughs> and there's, there's, I know that now that's for sure. sense. <laughs> makes sense. So we don't have trolls. That's really great. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's great. Well, congratulations. Now we just have to make another list of films to watch. Or we uh, can I actually get you into a movie theater, possibly. Well, like I said, it's sort of it, it's gotten me into it, and I, I'm going to the theater tomorrow for the first time in a while. So that'll be that'll be. It's a big stadium theater, so I'll probably be the only one in there. But <laughs> that's okay. I, I'm totally down with that. I'll feel like a big time studio exec screening a movie, so that'll be cool. But that's what I feel. <laughs> sit in the middle you know yeah so it'll it'll be fun uh you know I'm, I'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to seeing how they wrap up the story and see if it's um what everyone says it is and has claimed it's as epic as uh i've been hearing so yeah, i'll report sure. back next week and then sean <laughs> won't be able to uh to abuse me for an entire sean hour. will abuse you anyways Not, much <laughs> much to his chagrin i'm sure <laughs> that's exactly right yeah, that's pretty cool. So tomorrow, are you going to bring your family with you to the theater? No, unfortunately, uh, my wife is working and the kids are going to be back in school. So I will be going solo. Alas, but it's okay. Got, you got to do it. You got to do it for the good of the audience. Yeah, that's right. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the hit for the audience. So I'm going by myself. <laughs> Honey, circa, I have to when go. I was, it's when I was 24 at the Grove and Pacific Theaters where I would bounce. We got to do like a triple feature in an afternoon. But, you know, so. Not doing a triple feature, so don't worry about that. I just <laughs> to see one. It's <laughs> a lot of popcorn. That's a lot. It's a lot of popcorn. Yeah, exactly. The Founders Brew uh, newsletter. Yes. I love this quote that you have at the end, the Emerson quote. Oh, yeah. What lies behind us and what lies before us is a small matter to what lies within us. I love that quote because it's something, uh, obviously, there's something thematic we talk about inside of Hollywood Breaks, but you found a perfect way of kind of summarizing what it is that we're that feels heavy about the moment, right? right. That we have a history behind us, and you know, I like to pick on the blockbuster movies and how that's gonna kind of that's fading away, and there's something new. But this new thing, it it often feels like we it's undefined, it's hard to figure out, it's fast moving, and some of some of my concern, even there, some of your concern too, is that it's the future seems commoditized. It's just like how many bits and pieces can we throw at people as fast as possible right. to compete with just consumption rates? Um, and that consumption rate mechanism, it's going to, it's going to crash on us. It's it's going to be obvious and, and we can look at grids and charts of how this can be. Um, but the, the reality, and I think what we're trying to do is call people out to this, like this new Hollywood, um, and one of the things we need is uh, a sense of who's we need leadership in, a, uh, in the major studios or leadership in 
from the agencies or leadership and from the actors. We don't know what it is, but somebody has to start having a clear voice of what it means to be in Hollywood and what makes Hollywood unique from YouTube or Twitch or TikTok, whatever the the (laughs) platform is that people can consume as fast as possible. And we want storytelling, character, I don't know, wisdom even to play a role in what Hollywood can and should be. Um, so I, I love the newsletter this week. That was pretty awesome. A great little quote there. It's, it's often something that I've thought about a lot over the course of the last couple of years. And, you know, Richard Rushfield and Angler is also the cries this as well, that there's it's, it's a mass unsettling in the industry right now. And there doesn't seem to be anyone stepping to the fore to sort of advocate for what the industry is, who we are, what, like you said, what makes us different from TikTok? Like, are we just going to say we're all just content? We, I mean, it's, it's hilarious that everyone has sort of just adopted that term. Content is king. It's all about content. But then that just makes everything amorphous and everything's the same. And doesn't, there's no distinction between something that's on Netflix or Amazon versus something that's shown in a theater. Whereas you can sit there and watch something like, take, for example, Far From Home, um, and you look at sort of the spectacle of it and the, the visual. I mean, when all those elementals came up and how well-crafted they were visual effects-wise, like you can't, Netflix can't mimic that. And you can see it when you watch a Netflix movie, the quality is just, they spend to get the talent in, but they don't spend at, you know, in the post-process. Nothing else. <laughs> and it's blatantly obvious and i'm like yeah. that's where the sort of distinction needs to be and there's a way to do it if there was a real sort of leadership quality and that's somewhat what i talked about in the newsletter i kind of tried to identify what why leaders haven't stepped up some part of it is a little bit of fear and the other part is they just don't care because you know listen i'm making millions of dollars a year i'm about three or four years out from retirement why do i want to rock the boat like, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing for the last 30 years, even though the industry's completely changed just in the last two. And I'm not going to sit here and talk, blah, 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 blah. Um, and none of them really have vision. And, uh, you know, Iger, and uh, I started the whole piece by talking about Bob Iger and how he's, you know, now officially retired. Alan Horn, who was sort of the creative engine at Disney, is now retired. And, you know, now it's like, who's left? Like, no one's really defining who they are. What 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 is Disney? I mean, we don't we don't really know. And Alan Bergman, who's now the studio head, is more of a business guy. And we don't really know what Kareem Daniels division is doing. And then what's going on at Comcast and NBC Universal? What is Peacock? We don't know. What's Paramount? We don't know because are they getting ready for a sale? Arguably, that's what everybody thinks. So it's like this lack of direction and sort of defining. And my big thing, and this is always going to be something I'm going to harp on as long as we're doing this podcast, what is a movie? What is a movie now? What, what is a movie? Is it just, is it just in the theaters? Well, right now it doesn't seem like it because Netflix, Amazon prime video, Apple TV plus they've got quote unquote movies. So if you watch something on lifetime, I guess that's a movie too. But if you always said like a movie, there was a sense that it was something that was another level. And now there's nobody sort of advocating for that. And it's become this mishmash. And you can make the distinction be some, between someone with a with a little phone, and um, and somebody who has millions of dollars of an visual effects team behind them, and there is a distinction, and no one is advocating for that. Well, so one of the questions I wonder is, 
is it, or were they, are our, are the leaders just not groomed for this moment? So we actually have had too long of a stint of leaders, leadership and executive positions that really have held onto position for too long and not evolved Hollywood, right? Just maintained it, commoditized it. And this is, you know, I, I say again to our audience, you know, just watch how often we repeat the same story. It's not an, evo- it's not an evolution. We're just simply repeating it. And that's executives holding on to their position, trying to make Bill and Ted four, you know, what, 20 <laughs> years later or whatever, like, you're like, what, right. what's, what's really happening? Like, we're just grabbing old stories. Um, surprise back to the future has not been rebuilt or at this point. Um, but there, but there has also been magical moments within Hollywood. And I think you and I are kind of waiting for that new Phoenix to rise. Um, I think of, you know, that the character of Bob Evans at Paramount and then who Paramount is right now, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how, how indistinguishable Paramount is from any, I don't know, just like TikTok influencer. Like you, there doesn't have a voice. It doesn't have a position, doesn't have a place. And in the past it's had opportunities and it still has opportunities to do something new. It has its own OTT platform and still hard to distinguish. Should I, should I even subscribe to it? Um, right. So that's the leadership we're talking about are people that recognize and have a vision of what Hollywood could be the opportunity for influence, opportunity for the time, the opportunity to tell stories and not just some Wall Street, you know, darling that makes a whole bunch of money for them, which is also possible. We're not saying don't make money. Um, it always made money, but I think that the challenge is it's to find someone who can achieve that balance. Cause I think what, what, what's happening a lot over the last few years is a lot of over overcorrection. It's like, I, I sort of, I, the example I'll use is when, um, when Jim Giannopoulos took over at Fox, you know, there, there were a lot of complaints in the film community that Tom Rothman could be a little hard on filmmakers, could bully himself into the editorial room. So Jim wanted to correct that. And he wanted to be basically the Warner brothers, the, another, another place for a filmmaker could go and feel supported. So he overcorrected. And he almost gave too much power to the filmmakers because there needs to be a balance. And you kind of see that now where like at Paramount, it seems like now they're like, okay, it's all about streaming. It's only about what's good for Paramount Plus. And, you know, I think there, there has to be a balance and you have no real talent that's coming up through the ranks right now. Like I think um, Brian Robbins is the youngest head of a studio at the moment at 60. Um, and there's nobody down below. There's really no like up and coming leaders who are really sort of, you know, advocating for the business. You know, yeah, you've got a couple of president of productions who might be in their late forties, early fifties, but they're not voices for the industry and therefore they're not leading by example. And they're most likely just going to do whatever their boss is going to want. And the bosses aren't encouraging risk. They're not encouraging Sort of like, well, go out and find that one story that hasn't been made before, or you know, I uh, or in marketing, encouraging new ways to sell a, a sell a movie instead of you know just cutting the same old stuff. I mean, they did this big piece in Deadline about TikTok and Spider Man. I'm like, well, yeah, that could have been written five years ago. Like, it's where's the new thing? Where what 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 new and exciting stuff are you guys doing? Um, that is engaging more audiences. And I, I just don't, I, that's just not happening. And I do think it's because there is this overcorrection. Now it's like, okay, subscriber numbers and reducing churn. So what do we do for that? We go for 
original stuff that is guaranteed to get an audience, guaranteed to bring subs. And you look at something like Yellowstone, which has just grown its audience over the last four years. Like nobody does that anymore. Everybody just wants mm-hmm. instantaneous hits. Like as soon as it gets on the platform, boom, we're going. And you think about what Damon Wolf talked about when he was here a few weeks ago, like La La Land. They platformed that movie because they knew if they put it out there, it would get lost. So they built the word of mouth and they just built it out and it eventually just grew. Everyone was talking about it. And then boom, it was the hit. And I that would not happen today. I arguably yeah. West Side Story could have benefited from something like that. It, it definitely could have. It should have set the stage much better than it did. It, it kind of kept it. Yeah. West Side Story just felt shroud the entire time. It, it did, it's not that it misled you. It just didn't feel like they were trying to tell us what the movie, why the movie's being made, what the movie's about, right. why we should go see it. So we went to go see it just because it was a known known musical. And Spielberg. <laughs> That's Spielberg, it. yeah. That was just Spielberg, yeah. Yeah, which I, by the way, like, you know, I talked to my mom about the um, West Side Story. And my mom, who's older than me, <laughs> let's just say that. I would hope so. She loved it because she basically saying, Oh, I love the throwback. I love how it throws back. And I remember this thing. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's it. Like it's basically a baby boomer movie. It's totally a nostalgia movie. And instead of pulling something out to make something new and appeal to two audiences, um, it really just is a throwback movie. And to me, it's this thing of, we, I feel like we have the opportunity or when we've seen leadership come up in the past, they knew how to make an audience, not just take advantage of an audience. No, oh, that's great. Yeah. And the block, but the end of the blockbuster era really was this gigantic um, investment vehicle. That's what it was. And they basically would throw tons of money at a lot of films looking for the one unicorn that makes a, you know, a billion or a trillion dollars. And that $1 trillion movie takes place of all these items. And they were just looking for numbers. They were just basically farming for films that would make the numbers. And when the, when the Marvel universe was, universe was created, they found the magic formula. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Disney then buys Lucas and Nat Geo and whatever, because they basically said, oh, now we have the formula. And, you know, maybe for the better, coronavirus broke that until Tom Holland shows up with Spider-Man. Um, but <laughs> right. they... But the the new idea is like you have to go make it make your audience, not just leverage some existing audience for their last two dollars. Um, I still want to see Maverick. Don't please don't shut it down too soon, right? There's some things out there I want to see, <laughs> but I also want to hear something that people saying, no, this is important for today's, you know, or today's audience. It's important for today's world. And how do we make this audience? How to make this audience and have a voice to it? Yeah, I think there's there's an idea that the entire younger generation is just not gettable. Like, I think a lot of people are just like, well, until we figure out how to mimic TikTok into the theatrical experience, we're toast. And I'm like, I, I, I understand the challenge of that, but until you're willing to start telling different stories and trying to engage with that audience in a different way versus just remaking things from your childhood and trying to appeal it to a new generation, you have to create the, the need. Like, I always go back to Steve Jobs and like the idea of an iPhone, an iPad, like everyone laughed when he announced the iPad. <laughs> Who's going to want that? And look, it became like this huge hit. Same thing with the phone. They didn't know they wanted it until they knew they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I think is missing from the industry in general. And what you've got now is this sort of tech idea of let's just break shit and see what works. 
you know, which is very much the Jason Kalar model of walking in and be like, hey, you know what? Screw this. Let's just put it all on there. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, talent's upset. What? Who's talent? What? Wait, what actors? Huh? What? <laughs> and it's all of a sudden like, uh, wait, this is an art form. <laughs> I can't just program. Ninety years <laughs> of of brand in the in the town is completely shattered in a matter of months because yes, you can break shit, but at the same time, you there's a way to break shit, and there's a way to break shit in a way that still maintains the overall structure that has made you the success up till that point. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was a lesson he learned after the fact. Um, but granted, it you know did well. It got subs at HBO Max, but look at the the cost that Warner Brothers has paid for it. So there's again, it's that overcorrection. It's the overcorrection of like, okay, well, yeah, we're gonna go all HBO Max subs. So let's forget talent, forget the people that actually make the stuff, and let's just do what we want to do and not have a conversation. And you know that in and of itself is again an overcorrection. So now take a Do- Bob Chapek's email, right, right, and this. Um, was it's the rules, right? He came up with the three rules. Well, essentially what he did was he sent a new year's letter to uh, staff. Now that he is officially the CEO, it's no longer yeah. Bob the first and Bob two. It's just Bob Chapek. That's it. Iger, Bob Iger has retired. Right. He, he gets to run solo. Alan Horn has now retired. So it's his studio to make or break. Um, so, or his company, I should say. So he sent out a note and, you know, just said like, you know, yay, look at us. Woo-hoo, thanks for all your help through this challenging time. You got unprecedented times, blah, blah, blah. You know, the same old stuff we've heard ad nauseum. <laughs> what? It's unprecedented? Uh, but the meat of it was the three pillars that he sort of laid out that the company is going to focus on moving forward. So this is sort of like his almost like a mission, sta- the mission statement for the Chapek era. The first is storytelling excellence. Duh. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a little bit <laughs> obvious. Um, uh, second is innovation, which is nice. You know, it's nice to hear that there's at least a possibility of that. Um, and then third is a relentless focus on our audience, which yes, great. But is that, you know, that, is that really their focus? Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that, but it's sort of like the three pillars. None of this is new. Like, I don't, I don't think this is groundbreaking in any way, shape or form. I mean, his idea of, you know, storytelling excellence is like, hey, let's have, I'm going to have a weekly meeting with my creative heads. And what better way to quote Matt Bellani from his, um, what I'm hearing uh, newsletter this past week, what, what does, what do creatives love more than another meeting? So it's, (laughs) it's little things like that. Like, okay, you're going to do a meeting. Well, how's that? I mean, really that you think that's going to help, you know, innovation. Yeah, that's great. Again. I, you know, I would love to see Walt Disney Imagineering get more involved in the movie making process and the marketing process versus just focusing on rides at Disney World. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's a possibility. And relentless focusing on your audience, again, that that seems to be a, another duh. But uh, is it, you know, I, 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 the cynic in me is a little like, well, is this really about the audience or is it really about goosing your stock price? And I think that's really what this is all about because the stock price has been down the last year. And I think, you know, he's got another year, I think on his contract. So he really has to make difference or otherwise the board's going to be like, listen, how you had a shot. Now we, we need to find some other way to make this work. Um, but just sort of tying it back to my idea of leadership. I, this doesn't feel like leadership to me. This just feels like I'm listening to wall street. Cause all I care about is the stock price. And, you know, 
he's gonna he cares about that. And obviously, every CEO does need to care about those things. It's important to be responsive to the investors. Sure. But what about the long term as prospects of the business? And I think there are aspects of that that just this feels like I got to get the stock price up. That's well, they what this obviously are very safe. Like how do yeah. I would want to know what studio executive is not doing those three things. <laughs> exactly. Right? That's a great point. It's not necessarily that unique. Which one studio is like, we're, you know what? We're, we're not going to focus on story. No, we're not going to. Screw the audience. Innovation. I about that. Yeah, let's go backwards. <laughs> right. So it doesn't distinguish you at all for a studio no, that it could, it has such a powerful position right? Um, in our economy, in really, truly the mostly like the imaginary space that they've created. Like there are so many great opportunities that Disney has because of who they've always been. And yeah. Disney is an innovative company. Of course it's, it, of course it, that's what it's made its history on is that it innovates. Um, yeah. So that one's very obvious, but that what distinguishes this Bob from anyone else um, that's currently in the market. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's really going to play into a long-term leadership role. And the thing is, like, what I find a little disappointing is he had a moment because this got covered everywhere. Deadline, all the, the Substack newsletters covered it, Variety, all, everything, everybody who talks about the industry, this got attention. So he had a real moment in time to sort of stake a flag that was going to be distinctive. Like, I would have thought this would have been a great time for him to announce, listen, we're going to buy a, one of the theaters in the Midwest and we're going to reinvent it into the Disney, a Disney theatrical experience. That would have been his time to announce it because then it had been like, whoa, wow. Not only are you buying a theater in the, you know, in the middle of the country where, oh, wait, people actually live there <laughs> and you're, 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 you're engaging with your audience in a way that you haven't before. Um, that would have been like planting a flag and being like, and then, listen, maybe that's coming. I don't know. But again, because this was, this was his moment to sort of really stake his claim on his era. But this could have been written by Eisner. This could have been written by Iger. This could have been written by Barry Diller. This could have been written by anybody in the last 30 years who's been a studio chief. Oh, absolutely. This does not feel like someone who's looking forward. I mean, yeah, like a term like innovation, who's looking to the 21st century. Why not say like, listen, we're, we're instilling in imagineering a marketing position to help our marketers discover new ways to, to reach our audiences. Something like that. Like that's innovation. Not just saying innovation and, oh yeah, I'm going to meet with my creative heads once a month. Like that, 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 that's not doing anything distinguishing. And it's like their challenge moving forward is going to be how you grow that audience on Disney plus, because there's only so many Star Wars shows and Marvel shows you can make. And that's a very finite audience at the end of the day. Um, you've got to find another way to broaden the audience outside of just those pillars. And, you know, this would have been his moment to really take opportunity, a, a advantage of that. And I, I just think it was just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for the safe bet right now. Yeah. I don't think Wall Street's going to be like, wow, I'm going to buy more Disney. So. Yeah. And there's, there's, I'm going to guess a reaction to other parts of the economy that are pushing Hollywood or pushing all industries, but Hollywood to kind of think differently, uh, create different opportunity, um, get new voices out there or have better understanding for the voices that are out there than just kind of, you know, again, like 
just like the white man rule or whatever some of those um agendas might sound like right um so if you are an executive and you're trying to balance the power there and make sure there's some clarity you can understand where at sometimes you're going to be soft um, in certain areas so that you can listen so you can recoil and not be too strong coming out so that you're not you're not messing things up or or doing additional harm i get that but i think there's got also that sensitivity has also has to have a sharp edge of righteousness in a way to say the reason I'm being sensitive, the reason I'm listening is so that we can make a difference. And to, right. that's again, like I, the leadership voice we want today has to be able to understand that and capture that um, inside voice that knows what we're really talking about and be able to have agendas and make investments toward a Hollywood that can capture a larger audience and can get, create better understanding. Because in the past, I mean, Hollywood, when take when given the need, they take on that responsibility. Um, you know, Hollywood gets a chance to to have voices in the past, has had voices and have conversations that when that reach a large audience, so that small communities have a conversation they wouldn't have had without the influence of a, of a film or a movie or a TV show. Um, and sometimes I think when it first comes out, it sounds a little nasty and there's always someone for and against that film or wants to you know, burn on the film reels or whatever. But the longer long-term conversation that can happen because of the, the reach and influence of filmmakers is pretty amazing. And I think there's got to be someone out there that's just not afraid to have that conversation. And you know, maybe, maybe politically, it's, it's very scary right now. Yeah, and uh, these executives doing it, but we know what we're looking for, right? If you're part of the industry, you know what you're looking for, and you know when it sounds like just like sounds like BS and filler. Like I just need my three year contract to finish well, so I can get my stock options and pass this mess on to somebody else. Well, that was that was one of my big things, and uh, I, I've sort of advocated about this, and uh, you know, I I related an experience I had in one of my previous newsletters. Um, I was having lunch with my boss in Australia at the time, and I, I was regaling the fact that I just felt like nobody was trying anything new. And I don't understand why, you know, people are in these positions and they just, they just don't want to roll the dice. And he's like, well, they have, they have mortgages and they have kids to pay for, and they just don't want to lose a job. I was like, I understand that, but then this is not the industry for you. Like if you want stability and just the entertainment industry is not for you. I mean, if you think of like a Jack Warner or a Louis B. Mayer or an Irving Thalberg or a Lou Wasserman, if they're all like, well, you know, I got to pay my mortgage and, you know, got to send my kids to college. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Like, where would we be? Mm -hmm. Like the Warner Brothers started in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, about an, 40 minutes from where I grew up. They had a theater in Newcastle, the three of them. And they decided, you know what? We're going to take advantage. Land in LA is cheap. Let's go buy a studio. And their youngest brother, Jack, took it over and look what they built. You know, and it's like, can you imagine that happening today? Like, really? Like someone being like, you know what? I'm going to, you see a lot of this in sort of the tech world, but even that is becoming this era where it's just not, no one wants to rock the boat. Because once an industry, you get your titans in the industry, they dominate it and they just mm -hmm. start gobbling up all the little players. But there's, there doesn't seem to be any of that at this point. And that is part of the problem. There's no need to be like, I yes, I want to break shit. 
but I want to break shit using the sort of hundred plus years of tradition and storytelling excellence that this industry encapsulates. And this is a moment where you've got a lot of audience, you know, a lot of uh, new storytellers coming to the fore that just want that opportunity. But you've got a lot of studio execs who are like, well, I just need to look for the next Back to the Future, the remake of Back to the Future. Oh, look, the rights for Back to the Future or the rights to some movie made in the 50s are coming up. Let's just remake it because we don't really have any new ideas anymore. Yeah, maybe Howard the Duck's available. Now we can remake Howard yeah, the Duck. Maybe Howard the Duck's <laughs> available. George Lucas would gladly give up the rights to that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my inside joke with me and my kids is Howard the Duck because I tried to Howard explain to them what the movie was and they're like what are you talking about I'm like I know I you don't should let, you should just play it once and just let them watch in in, in awe I don't know. and then you can do you can do Ishtar afterwards and then you'll be like this the two movies that almost destroyed an industry <laughs> that's right oh my gosh Ishtar well, but even that like so we can you can point to that and say like there's a risk that people took I mean like obviously you there's a foolish edge to films like that that were yeah root that could ruin someone's career or ruin an entire studio. Waterworld that was the other one. Like, can, like remember Universal was such on edge because of Waterworld. It was such a yeah. major investment and a huge flop. Um. So, but that that risk element to it instead of always looking for the safety net and the next kind of um boost. Let's say risk beyond yeah. a, a OTT platform. Mm-hmm. It's really just like, whoa, we took a major risk and we launched Peacock <laughs> in the last four years. Like, uh, we launched Peacock after every other studio had already launched their streamers. So, yippee, yeah, yeah. here yeah. we go. Oh, no, ours is called Paramount Plus. Pe- plus. To make yeah, it right, different. exactly. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're just going to add the plus. Wait, oh, Disney did that too. Oh, wait, oh, whoops. Oh, no, yeah. Discovery did that too. Whoops. Original. <laughs> Well, I'll give HBO even, credit. Even Apple just did added a plus, a max. by the way. <laughs> That's true. Apple did a plus. They all did a plus. Man, seriously? What's the deal uh, with the plus? We should discover what the purpose of the plus. That doesn't really like... It's just because it's an addition. You get to keep your original uh, brand. And then you just like plus. But what cracks me up is Viacom hired an agency, Droga, to one of the most creative ad agencies in the world to come up with Paramount Plus. I mean, really? <laughs> I guess well, so, uh, some, some, crit, some copywriter is, you know, sending his kids to college from that, from that, uh, from that yeah, yeah. Uh, payment. So anyway. yeah, that's, that's some high strategy going on there. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate the founders brew newsletter. I think there was a lot of inspiring ideas in it that we've been trying to capture over the last few months of what, what it is that we're, what our edge really is and what, what has broken and up Hollywood and what allows people now to break through. Um, and I think there's, if that voice can be heard, we're going to hear new names. And we might understand innovation in a different way, as innovation should be. There are things that we don't yet know about that when they're introduced into storytelling and the creative studios and um, actors portraying it, we get a new, a new breakthrough and a, a new economic growth pattern. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to I mean, sign me up, whatever that is. But please don't put yeah. it on my cell phone. If you think innovation <laughs> belongs as another app on my cell phone, you're far from home on that one. No, that's for sure. No, no. I mean, that's that's the point of the Founders Brew. I'm, I'm trying to use it as a almost like a rallying cry to you know everyone in the industry. Like this is a moment that rarely comes in a lifetime when you take advantage of it. 
like as I've said before, the last pandemic created the industry. Let's make sure this one doesn't destroy it. So yeah, absolutely. There's a rare opportunity that we have, and hopefully there are voices out there that will chime in eventually and um, we'll enter a whole new era. Well, I'm looking forward to Sean coming. We're going to have Sean coming, yes. but Sean is doing something different, um, being in the video game space. So there, there's opportunity to understand even different platforms, but the same opportunity to tell stories. Um, yeah. And I think that that innovation ideas has a lot to be explored. As you know, like mm-hmm. the NFT space that I'm, I'm working in is a- definitely asking those questions. How do we understand the film, the, we'll say like the storyteller's point of view and what opportunities right. there there on a platform to do it? Yeah, um, exactly. Who else is coming up? Maybe other uh, guests booked? I'm still working on some other guests. Nobody confirmed yet. Um, hoping to get Cami Sargent, who uh, recently announced she's now at Paramount Pictures. Um, she's an EVP of creative advertising. So congrats to Cami on that wonderful uh, new gig. So we'll hope to get her back at some point. Uh, also re- uh, going to hopefully book Tim Heindel um, back from Lionsgate. We can talk a little bit about since he was one of our more popular guests. So we're going to try to get him <laughs> back on. And then... Uh, Got a couple other ones working in in the in the hopper, but as classic Hollywood, I cannot discuss them as of yet because they have not committed. So I don't want That's to very well said. <laughs> open up my Christmas gifts too early this year. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll keep uh, everyone up to date on who we got coming up next. That's great. Well, you have a great week. Enjoy the movies. I will. I'm excited. I'm excited for you too. I'm good. You get out there and see something for real in the real theater. You might actually want to go see another one. Right I know. Afterwards. I'm afraid this is going to start my addiction all over again. I'm going to be like yes. a, another another 12 year old sitting there watching Jurassic Park for the first time with my jaw <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> well, you're going to get back to the theater. So when Maverick does actually come out, you're comfortable being there and watching. It. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna see that because I have a really good authority that that's a great movie and it's one to be seen in a theater. So I, I and that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I remember seeing that in theater. So I'm definitely going to have to go see that. And, and then when Risky Tom Cruise Business in Two comes out, oh, Risky yeah. Business. Well, they're probably going to remake it. I don't, you could make that movie now. Are you kidding me? You couldn't make that movie. You now. could not make that movie now. No, no unless it's a musical. Way. Risk Your no Business way. to musical would be the only way. To get yeah, the only way you'd be able to make it. I mean, you could make half of John Hughes's more racier comedies now. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. No, I was. Uh, yeah, Sixteen I've, Candles. Nope, not going to happen. Nope, 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 nope. I turned when I turned on one of the OTT platforms. I can't remember which one it was. It was probably Hulu. But I was flipping through things and my kids were watching. I'm like, I don't know if I want my kids to see these titles from the 1980s, let alone they won't just <laughs> films. Like it's crazy. Oh, I don't really yeah. deal with it. Well, you have a great week. Enjoy it. And I'm you next too. week I'm gonna have to introduce you to this idea called a date night where you actually take your wife with you to the movies. But we'll, we'll one step at a time. Oh, I did have a date night this week. I did have a date night this week, but it was not a movie. So I understand the concept of date night. Okay, good. Man, it's tough to find babysitters. <laughs> babysitters are, are, are a dime a dozen in this in this area, so it's 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 it can be tough to struggle to find them. So yeah, we'll have to, <laughs> have to get you past it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, my friend. Have a great week. Talk to you. You Friday. too. Goodbye. Okay, See you Friday. <laughs>